It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open Round 3 catch-up. Igor Sviontek overcomes her toughest test yet. Djokovic and Nadal's blockbuster encounter moves a step closer. And Cam Norrie falls to Karen Kachanov. Chris, today is the 29th of May and we are here to catch up on all the action from round three of the French Open at Passing Shot HQ. We're recording a day later than we normally would, but for good reason, the Champions League final was last night and I am a Liverpool fan, so I was in a bar, I was watching it and I was getting a bit sad because we just ran into the immovable object, which was the Real Madrid goalkeeper. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit downhearted today. So I'm sort of glad we can just talk tennis for the next hour or so and I can just put football out of my head. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's impressive that you're still able to record today <laughs> after defeat yesterday. So close, yet so far. I can seek comfort in watching Trevor San versus Sasnovic uh, whilst we're recording. Absolutely. A match that you're less invested in, I imagine. <laughs> marginally, well, marginally well, so. Well, marginally. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, we're going to be looking ahead to week two. Round four has already begun. So we're going to be looking at the draws left in the men's and women's games. And then we're also going to be catching up on all the action that's happened over the last couple of days. So, Chris, let's let's get into it because we've got our final 16 for the men. Top half. Novak Djokovic, Diego Schwartzman, got Ogier Aliassim versus Rafa, Zverev, Zapata, Morales, Kachanov, Alcaraz. And then in the bottom half, we've got Kasper Ruud, Hubert Herkaj, Holger Rune, Stefanos Sissipas, Rublev, Sinner, Cilic, Medvedev. I mean, what are your impressions on, on that list? Because it's quite a, I mean, in comparison to the, into, to the women's matches we have left, all the familiar faces feel like they're there. Yeah, completely. I think there's no real sort of big surprise in the top half of the draw. I think there could have been some. I think given all the seeds are still there, they have not all had an easy route through. We know that obviously um, Carlos has had, he's had some very close matches. He's been match point down. Same with Sasha. Um, Sitsipas has not had an easy run through. And we all thought um, he would probably be the firm favourite for the final from, from that half of the draw. And that's been touch and go. So I think we've got a great list of people who've made it. But I think it's been very interesting to see that their their paths through have not been plain sailing, that's for sure. No, definitely. Even Ojea Aliassim had that massive wobble yes. in the in the first round. He's looked great ever since. But uh, yeah, perhaps that for me is the the tie that is standing out with the, the Uncle Tony backdrop as well mm. uh, with his two protégés. There's all this chat, you know, in the build up going to kind of where 
Where is Uncle Tony going to be? Is he going to be in, in Ojeleseem's box? Isn't he? Is he going to be in some neutral position? Is he going to be on court? If you were Oje Aliassim, Chris, where would where would you want Uncle Tony? I think it's a bit of a distraction, really. So I would probably prefer to, if he didn't watch, that's what I would say. But I'm not sure that that's really an option um, because you just know it's very odd to be playing someone where you know that they genuinely do want the other person to win. Um, but maybe he wants a close match. He wants a good match. He wants Felix to have a great experience out there and to to learn a lot from that match, but as close as can be without kind of exhausting the dial as well. So it is very, very odd in terms of that situation. What about you, Joel? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I would have him in my, I would have him in my box. You know, if, if, if I've, if I've got him as my coach. He's on the payroll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, yeah, I would, I would absolutely have him, you know, in my box. I understand that, you know, he wants to show respect and, you know, this is obviously quite a, you know, difficult and, difficult situation it's not you know it's not surprising you know this was inevitably going to happen at some point in a in a grand slam and you know if Oji Alisim really is gonna trouble Nadal and really kind of push him I think he needs everything going for him and I think that includes having your, your coach in your box with you so I personally would I would have him there I think it is interesting that Rafa was at the football last night because I, I get that he's a Real Madrid fan you know, it's a big match. He wants to be there. But like, were you a bit surprised by that? Because I'm I'm a bit like, I, I get it. But and, and I know you wouldn't have been training and, you know, have the night off. You would have done your training during the day. But at the same time, it's going to be maybe something people talk about if Nadal's not on his his A game today, I feel. Well, wasn't the World Cup on during Wimbledon last year? And um, I think Berrettini made the final and he went to mm. a few matches at Wembley potentially. So I'm sure I'm sure they can do it all. I'm sure a late night um wouldn't have been too much of a celebration. I mean he's not gonna be on the he's not gonna be he wouldn't have cracked out the champagne in celebration, you would have thought. I don't think so. I do not <laughs> think so. So I mean, if something does go wrong in that match for him, I think it might be more likely to put it down to the Uncle Tony factor <laughs> than um his team his team winning Champions League. <laughs> I mean, we've also got Djokovic Schwartzman. I mean, Djokovic's been playing fantastic. Schwartzman did really well, I think, to beat uh, I thought Dimitrov was playing well this tournament, but Schwartzman really kind of put him to one mm, side. Very regulation. Really shocked by that result. Yeah, straight sets. I thought that could have easily gone maybe a type four, type five set match. But I mean Djokovic is head to head against Schwartzman. I think he's six and O, oh, so you feel like Djokovic will will inevitably come through that. Zverev as well has you know had a few battles. You know he was as you say he was match point down. So again, I think he against Zapata Morales he should come through that quite easily. I think similar to kind of Sissipas in the in the last round. I think he's got an opportunity here to kind of get on, get off court as quick as possible, save yourself for the quarterfinals. You know to come with with bigger matches, but um. Yeah, and then we've got Kachanov Alcaraz, which for me is maybe the one that is quite you know evenly balanced. Kachanov, he likes to play Roland Garros. I am a bit annoyed that you know he he beat Cam Norrie in the in the last round. I thought I thought Norrie was had the better of him. I mean, he had the better of him. It feels in in best of three, but for Kachanov, yeah, he just came out and played tennis. That uh, to be honest, I'd not seen that level from him you know much this season. So it was a bit of a surprise, I think for me to see him beat uh, Norrie the way he did. Having seen him play in Rome, I think it, he's so hot and cold and you can see mm. that from his results. I think he definitely yeah. 
um, had, I mean, last year he was sort of his nemesis was Norrie in terms of losing to him so easily and so frequently. And I think he has got a win since then. Um, and obviously this is a, a big win. I do think though, I worry about how he's able to play against some of the big players because I saw him play against Sitsipas and he has a good set in him, but he just isn't able to compete over, over five. So although on paper, we might think that looks quite evenly matched. I, I don't think that will call, uh, cause uh, Alcaraz any, any sort of trouble there. Um, I think that the one that I would most like to watch, I think it, it has to be the Nadal-Felix match. I think the other ones have the potential to be quite um, run-of-the-mill matches, potentially. But I mean, either way, it's the, it is the lineup that people were hoping for. We still have on the cards the Djokovic-Nadal match and then the winner of that, hopefully... Um, well, depending who you support, uh, taking on Alcaraz in the in the semi-final. So it still is a blockbuster top half of the draw. I think it's quite interesting because as I said, I've been watching a bit of Zverev, uh, Zverev's matches. And again, I don't think you can just count him out and assume it's going to be one of one of Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz is just going to come through because I think Zverev has been playing quite well. And again, it's arguably going through under the radar a little bit given I think you know his wobbles earlier on I think people just expecting him to you know to fade and to fold but uh you know he's living up to to Misha Misha's Zverev's predictions so far which yes uh... indeed a very unbiased <laughs> prediction that I was <laughs> Every, I can't everyone was waiting you know everyone was hoping Zverev was going to go out like round two to make a mockery of these predictions but you know because he because he has Zverev getting to getting to the final which you know everyone everyone has laughed at and I, you know, I still continue to laugh at but he's certainly I think growing into the tournament so you know he's got a nice he's got a nice round four match so let's see how he goes from there I mean in the bottom half as I said this feels very 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 matches, open. I think mm. yeah very even more a lot more kind of finely balanced matches across the board you think I mean for me the biggest unknown and arguably the biggest surprise is Daniel Medvedev He's been playing great. I think he's only dropped only only Djokovic and Nadal. I think have dropped more games than him. Sorry, less games than him uh, through three rounds of matches. You know, he came up against Jair and then Kekmanovic. I thought Kekmanovic was going to cause him problems, but we, he's played we both absolutely. Did, I think. He's played absolutely fantastic, and you know, it's it's. I mean, it's it's great to see, and uh, this sort of love love hate affair with Clay. Well, it certainly feels like a love affair at the moment. I'd agree with that. I listened to his interview and he almost seems like when he was talking about how he was playing, he's like, well, I played so well here last year and I only got to quarterfinals. I didn't play half as well in Australia the last couple of years. I got to final both times. Um, so it's almost like Klaverdev really, really is a thing now. Like, I think especially he said he was surprised by the scoreline. That he did not think that he would be able to play that well. Him and me both, if I'm being quite honest, because... I'd say Kekmanovic has had a pretty, pretty decent season, pretty decent season on clay. And uh, yeah, again, Medvedev was very aggressive. Um, serving brilliantly. Serving brilliantly. It was a different Moving performance. Well. To, it was a very different performance, I feel, from Jair. Because against Jair, I feel like he was just waiting. He was just waiting for the unforced errors from, mm. from Jair. And it was like, maximise my play, get the ball back in court extended rallies and then you know inevitably Jair will either go long or hit it into the net but against Kekmanovic he needed to be I think a lot more on the front foot and he had to play a different you know had to have a different approach I feel and again it showed I think 
it, it, it surprised me how he was able to kind of do these two different approaches, two different rounds, given he's not really had a lot of tennis in, you know, in him over the last week or so. It's amazing how nice and day it is versus that Gasquet match. Yeah, the Gasquet loss. Yeah, that's a distant memory now for him, right? I know, exactly. I mean, Marin Cilic next. I mean, he was obviously a very experienced competitor. Uh, you know, he came through very easily. Gilles very, very Simon, easily against yeah. Gilles Simon on Chatrier. That was a, a bagel first set. Yeah. I, you know, at times I thought it was gonna, it could have been like a, maybe not triple bagel, but it was certainly, it was certainly a big... Um, it was, it was certainly a big difference there. It was sort of surprising because, yeah, Simon's head-to-head record against Chilich is very favourable, but Chilich is obviously playing well at the moment. And Medvedev, again, against a very experienced competitor, that could be quite quite tough. But I think with the, the optimism, this, this newfound optimism that Medvedev is playing with. Medvedev is going to, I think he's going to absolutely brush him aside. I think he's got, yeah, this confidence. I think mm-hmm. I, I saw Chilich in Rome as well, and he... He has obviously a big hitter and when it's going well, mm. he can do some damage, but he hasn't had those sort of big wins in the majors for a couple, well, a few years yeah. now, probably three years, um, where he hasn't kind of done the damage outside of Wimbledon. It's still amazing that Chilich is getting to the second week of Grand Slams, to be honest. I think. Do you think like, he's had a bit of a sort of resurgence the last couple of years? He's been really consistent. He's very consistent in his sort of like top 25 level tennis that he's been playing. He was having some great runs, winning some titles in the last couple of years as well. So I'm not too surprised there. I think for me, the matches that I'm quite surprised by is that kind of her catch has played this well. Because um, he's someone who, when you watch he's him play... He's not been broken yet. I don't think his serve's been broken yet. I think that's correct. And you just can't really imagine why he hasn't had more success. Because when you watch him play, he moves brilliantly now. He hits some really big shots. He serves well. Um, so I think he's kind of a free agent in this now in terms of He's probably surpassed his expectations. He's never made it to the second week at a Grand Slam, apparently, outside of the semi-final run at Wimbledon. So I think that I would pick him as sort of the favourite to take out Rude in that one. And then I think he could do some serious damage because he's um he's got uh, no weight on his shoulder. He can just enjoy the second week. We've got Holger Rune versus Stefanos Sissipas. Upset you know, we, alert. I'm going to call it upset alert. We, we, we spoke about on the, on the preview pod, Holger Rune <laughs> oh, as God, a dark yeah. horse player. I said Shapovalov was going to win, against, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he defeated Shapo, Shapovalov in, in the first round. Brushed him aside. He, very easily. He looks, he looks, I mean, he looks great on the clay court. Very solid. Like, I think Sissipas could get, very frustrated. I think he could get frustrated quite easily with the way that that Rune plays and the level he's playing at at the moment. I think Sissipas will, you know, need to be able to handle and accept that there will be times when Rune is going to be playing some very, very good tennis. And it's about kind of, I think, managing those moments because I think, as I said, for Sissipas, it's you know this draw is this draw is there for him, but there are still obstacles to overcome and. With Rune in, in front of you, it's quite, you know, quite a challenging kind of competitor for, you know, round four match. Yes, he's unseeded, but certainly he'll I think it it's, difficult. it's, it'll make it, it'll make he'll it difficult. Questions. Yeah. Mm. But do you think, do you, do you think Rune has a genuine chance or do you think Sispas will, will come through? I mean, I've, I've been, I've been wrong about him before, so I'm not going to count him out again in this French Open. So I, I, I think that's a, a really good opportunity for an upset. Um, I think that would be an interesting one. I do think though that, um a match which is kind of a for me 
I saw some of the Ruby Love match yesterday, and I think we're really interested to see because you've put Sinner. I remember you had Sinner going deep in this tournament, and I think it's Sinner, Rublev, and then sort of the Chilich Medvedev. Do you th- still think that Sinner's going to come out of that section of the draw? I did expect Rublev Sinner to happen, but yeah, I, I still would back. I still would back Sinner in that match. I would as well. As I said, I'm more where I'm more wary of how Daniel Medvedev is is playing. To be honest, that's the for me the. The, the, the factor that I was underplaying. That would be an interesting match on clay. Exactly. And who knows? It might be, it might be the, the semi-final we get in the bottom half. We'll, we'll have to, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, let's move on to the women's final 16, which is going on at the moment. Uh, as I said, Trevor San versus Sasnovic. We've got the bottom half matches today. But let's look at the full set because, Chris, this is kind of feel like in terms of like the top 10, the top seeds, this feels like completely at odds uh, with the final 16 for the men we have because we've got the top seed. We've got Iga Sviontek. She's got Zheng uh, in the in her round four match. We've got Jesse Pegula versus Begu, Kudametova versus Madison Keys, and then Kasatkina versus Camilla Georgi uh, rounding out that top half. And then in the bottom half, we've got Trevor San Sasnovich, Fernandez, Anisimova, Mertens, Coco Goff, and then Jill Teichman versus Sloan Stevens. So, as I said, we've only got one of the top 10 now. You know, Sabalenka lost. Bedosa. Bedosa, sorry, retired. So, we've literally got what feels very, very much like Sviontek and everyone else. It does indeed. I think... There are a few stats that I saw that were quite interesting. I think one was the live rankings for the WTA and Contivate will be number two. It's almost uh, impossible for her to be dislodged from number yeah. two, which is... Which is crazy. Really shocking. She's, her form's been awful. But uh, she had obviously had a great season last year, but she hasn't gone deep at majors. And I think it's clear that, and from the draw here, that people um, tend to have a good result at a major and then not necessarily great results at other majors. And I think Bedosa, I also looked at her results and she hadn't been um, past the quarterfinal except for last year's French Open where she went to the quarterfinal. And so it's clear that those top players aren't necessarily the people that go deep at the majors, unlike kind of Ego, who's really sort of turned a corner there um, since winning the French. So do you think like, again, the a line of a line of conversation would be, that shows great depth in the women's game. The fact that, you know, players not in the top 10 are making these runs, it makes it really exciting. But then there will be other people and say, you know, looking at that, you know, looking at that, those collection of matches, there'll be people out there being like, is this really what we're, we've, we've come to, you know, in this like post, you know, first slam mm. post Ash Barty, is this what we've come to in the sense of we've got one player who's able to play up to their ranking Iga Sviontek and she's doing it absolutely brilliantly and it feels like one-handedly at the moment as well and we've just got kind of a complete mix of of everyone from you know ranking two down to rank you know ranking 50 and yeah do are you are you not disappointed but like do you think it's a good look or you're not bothered how does it how do you think it compares do you think with the you know the men's the men's draws we've got I think there's a lot of players who have a lot of potential who don't quite reach that potential at the same age as they do on the men's side. So, for example, a lot of the names here are players who sort of almost should be established top 10 players by now. I know Kasekina has been top 10 and then she kind of fell away a little bit. Um, I think she struggled with some of the sides of things sort of mentally. I think 
for example, you look at Fernanda, she's had a great result at the US um, Open and you think, well, she didn't necessarily move on from that as well. Anisimova, she's obviously had great results before. There's lots of, like, Stevens obviously won a major. Keys always goes deep in Grand Slam. She's got a great sort of response there. So there are a lot of kind of players who who mm. have done well at majors Eek and so they can do. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've got a big difference between the top 10 is dominated by tour players who can get tour results, but they really can't deliver um, in the way that they need to at majors. So the talent level is there. I do think it's so much more um, the performance side of things where I think that the rankings don't necessarily reflect, you know, for example, Radicani is outside the top 10. Um, she might be top 10 by the end of the tournament, potentially, I think. But um, And that's because they've had one really great result, but can't do it on the tour. So we don't have many players who can do it on the tour and do it in the slams. And right now, that's eager. So it is a shame because what, for, for people watching the tour, um, they know who those good players are and that they're doing well. But some, for someone who isn't such a switched on fan, you would think, I don't know who a lot of these people are in terms of the matchups. I think it's great, though, for this one. I'm not disappointed because I think when you look at who's there, there's a lot of quality and there's a lot of people to be excited about. I feel like the one comfort I can take mm. is Elise Mertens being in the round of 16 at a Grand, at a grand Slam as well. Well, that's true, isn't it? I, I read this as well, 17 straight <laughs> third rounds. It's, it's more so than good. anyone on any tour. It is so good, isn't it? It's amazing, I mean, Coco Goff will probably win, uh, but, you know, like her consistency at slams is is unbelievable. Again, another great kind of stat to kind of hold your hold your hat on. But um, I did read what's quite interesting is we do have three teenagers in this draw. We've got Zheng, Fernandez and Coco Goff. Um, mm. And that hasn't I think that's only happened. Uh, it hasn't happened for for quite a while. Um, having three teenagers in, in the round of sixteen. I mean, who are you most who are you most excited by of those of those three? Because I feel like you know we've we've obviously saw Fernandez at you know the U.S. Open. Coco Goff has been around a while. She broke on the scene at Wimbledon, and then Zheng feels like she's breaking out in in this tournament coming up against Shiontek. Are you where are you? Who are you most excited by in terms of kind of prospects for this tournament? Well, I mean, I've seen some of Zhang when she was playing in Australia and the shot making is great. So I think that that's something to be really excited about. I think with Fernandez, um, I was watching some of the Benchich match and her ball speed has gone up so much from kind of where she was playing early in the year. Um, she was really bringing the game to her opponents. And I think that uh, I might not be the biggest Fernandez fan, but I'm a big fan of her attitude and the way that she gets the most out of her game because she really went after that one. Um, so I'd say Fernandez is probably the person who excites me most. I think I want Coco to do really well because she was such a sensation at such a young age. Um, but I think in terms of seeing her game, seeing her play in Rome, um, watching her against Sakari, there's just a, a lot of pieces that, there's lots of great things about her game, but they don't all come together to make the perfect picture. Um, there are sort of gaps in terms of, you know, sort of the sh- shot selection uh, is kind of missing at times, I think. Whereas Fernandez knows what shot to play at what time, which ones to go for. Um, so I'd say Fernandez is the one I'm most excited by. But Anissimova is only 20, I believe. So I think her game, if I throw her into the mix as well, um, Anissimova's shot making has to be something that would get me the most excited because it's just unbelievable. What about you? Well, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this draw. I, 
and, and I'm going to say it now. I'm surprised you haven't brought up Sloane Stevens because I'm Sloane so Stevens hard not to get too excited. <laughs> Sloane Stevens has got Jill Tightman, which I think is going to be great. I think that's going to be a great match. I mean, I watched Jill Tightman beat uh, Azarenka, which I was a little bit sad that was around three. Painful, felt like a, painful to watch. Felt like a second week match. Like it was a good quality unfortunate for Azarenka you know she definitely had her opportunities but Titman's having a great clay court season you know very very hard player to put away she always keeps her fitness levels are so high I know it's it's really impressive I mean they needed to be in that Azarenka match because that was you know I think that was the longest match so far in the tournament uh on in the women's side three hours plus Mm. but it was a real, it was a real, real battle. And, you know, coming up against Stone Stevens, who's been to the, you know, French Open final before, you probably would expect another battle. And it's, again, I was a little bit surprised we're here, given some of those results we we saw earlier on in the, in the clay season from, from Stevens. You know, she had I mean, that loss. She was coming to... in on a four match losing streak, I think. Uh, yeah. And then, or maybe it could have been five. But I think, um, I mean, I thought when she, got the draw of a qualifier, I predicted that she'd go out first round almost. And I think, um, because Sloane on clay, watching her move, watching her hit, watching how much power she has, how much height she gets on the ball. um, It's been fantastic to see her really start to play like Sloane Stevens that we know she can play like. And I just don't want to say too much because I honestly think in this bottom half, if she plays at the top, if everyone plays at the top of their level, she should be coming through this. Um, which I know is a big thing to say, but I think taking it match by match, I can see her edging Teichman in this one, but I think it it is one that could be on a knife edge, really, in terms of how it goes. Um, the other thing I'd say that's particularly exciting, obviously that was your Teichman prophecy for a semi-final, mm, I, I believe. Know. I know, I it's still Kasekina. on the cards there. It's still on the cards. I had a Kasekina, um semi-final as well, and I think although we might have got quite a few predictions wrong, <laughs> um, we, some of our... Uh, Mukherjee moment, I think, is is probably my lowest moment. But uh, we have got some of the the curve the curveballs. I think in terms of the players who've really showed uh, their quality over the, the clay court season. But I mean, would we say that Georgie's also a surprise package there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she has been again surprising me in terms of getting a level. To I would say sixteen. Yeah, I know. Very surprising. I mean, that match against Sabalenka was. It was wild. It was a wild <laughs> it was, ride. It was it hilarious. Really was. Yeah, it was a. Good, I mean, it was an interesting and entertaining match. I think they're both, you know, got their own sort of brand of tennis going on. And when they, I felt like when they collide, it it produced this. I don't want to say car crash of a tennis match, but it was certainly. I feel like it was certainly close to it. Sometimes two big hitters on yeah don't necessarily make for <laughs> um, a great match in that yes, way. I can see ex- that, but exactly. you've had a lot of injuries going into this, so I think it's um kind of surprising that she's here and I think another person who has absolutely nothing to lose right in terms of just you can just go out there and hit so I think um wide wide open but I think we're gonna go into a bit more detail in terms of some of the matches that we've seen right let's look back on some of the play we've had starting with yesterday and the men I mean again I was watching Stefano Sissipas he came through against Emer very very quickly 6-2-6-2-6-1 I think that was quite you know he would have liked to have that only an hour and 32 minutes on court so nice I think to just sort of have a chilled round before you know coming up you know coming up against Holger Rune which you would expect to be a lot more kind of competitive um you know Yannick Sinner as well came through Mackenzie McDonald 
um, he did really well to keep that in, in three sets, I felt, because he was, what, 5-3 down in the second, had to save. Yep. He had to save like a mil. what, I think 10 set points, snatched it, it on the tie points. break. Yeah, like McDonald, I think, would be a little bit disappointed. But yeah, great from, I think, Sinner just to keep keep the lid on that match. Absolutely. I think um, he he does have a... I mean, I think he's very good in those moments when he doesn't shy away when he's down. I think if he does get slightly passive, that tends to be earlier in the set. And then he's won an awful lot of sets and a lot of matches that have got really close. And he's kind of... We've seen it kind of time and time again that he does keep such a level head when it comes to those moments, um, which I think is something that uh, for a player of his age, I think that's very, very impressive. Um, because, I mean, that's so many set points to to kind of survive and the intensity you have to have on those points. Um, and he doesn't play them in a passive way as well. He really keeps playing his exact same game. So I think um, that was a, a great result for him to come through that one. There was another match that um, uh, was, was they did very well to kind of come through in the way that they did, which was the, the Rublev-Garin match. Uh, I was watching quite a lot of that and it was one with similar thing on a very close tie break. Um, where it could have gone either way. And it was almost the opposite of someone going for their shots. It was almost like a uh, Garen did very well to not let that go to a, a fifth set because that was a tie break where when he was down, he was hitting amazing shots. And then when he was up, he was absolutely choking. Um, and so I think it's, it's very interesting to see like, you know, the qualities that Sinner has for those big moments. I think that will serve him really well. I think Rublev looked quite panicked in that one. And I think he was... I mean, he was lucky that Garen can kind of play two consecutive great points. Um, but no, I think that it was it was great to see um, Sinner make it through to the, the second week. And we've also had Sonigo versus Casper Rude, which was probably the men's match of the day yesterday. Uh, Rude was two sets to one down, then upped his level to win uh, in five sets, 6-3 in the fifth. Um, yeah, this was a very... Very, very good match. Very tough test for Kasparud. Great to see him upping his level when he needed it most, I think. Particularly, I think he was a bit more aggressive, added a bit more pace to his shots, particularly on his serve and I think his forehand as well in those last couple of sets. Um, but yeah, that was a real, real, real test, a real, real battle against Sonigo, who, again, very good player. I will say that, I've said this before in the pod, he needs to sort his grunting out because... It is is so extended that it is very, for me, it is too close, I think, to being a hindrance on the opponent um, because of how extended that that sound is. I agree. It's it's kind of like nothing else. It goes on for so long that it's almost by the time that he's finishing, his opponents hit the shot back to him, he starts again. So it's amazing he's able to get the breath in that he needs. But um, no, I think it is... um, it's it's not good form. Um, I think it's something where if players allow it to annoy them, it could really annoy them in a match. And I think that's something that you've got to be careful with, especially, for example, you know, if you're pay, playing Peak Sharapova on the grunt or Azarenka, or I think Skivoni had a very long grunt as well, as so did Roberto Vinci. I think it's something that if you let it get in your head and annoy you, then it really, really will. Um, Sonego is definitely disappointing, though, that, you know, when you get that much momentum... Uh, that you can't quite sort of carry can't that one through it. because yeah. there was a, a collapse from Casper Rudd in that match. Like he really did lose complete control of that match and he wasn't kind of made to to pay for that. Um, 
again, testament to the fact he was able to, Casper was able to um, write the ship, which is obviously something that the top player is able to do. But I think, um, yeah, grunting, probably, he's probably the worst grunt defender on the tour right now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's hard to, it's hard to like, you know, get behind him, appreciate his game because of it I feel you know he's he obviously produces some great tennis and uh yeah he'll be disappointed I think from you know being two sets to one up not being able to not being able to seal it with with Casper Ruud on the ropes but um he's a bit of a maybe man isn't he yeah exactly he's he's still he could be a glass half full guy but it's it still feels like a glass half empty flashes of brilliance yeah exactly exactly I mean one player on the women's side um you know when you talk about Igor Svantec I mean, should we be worried because there was no bagel, there were no breadsticks? It was six. It was still straight sets. It was still you know six three seven five. But you know she got broken three times. Is this? Uh, this feels as as big as alarm bells as say you know when Sam Sonova took a set off her in in Stuttgart. This is probably mm. the. Is this the biggest test since? Would you say? I think so. I watched quite a bit of that match, and I think it was interesting to see that. Uh, Iga's level wasn't it wasn't coming as naturally as it does on some of the days that she plays and she still found a way to win I think that second set could have got really tricky um, when she I think she was 5-4 down and she had lost something like eight straight points or uh, eight of the last nine points and I think and she was really missing and then she put her um, her jumper her jumper on and um, it seems like it worked she said she was a bit chilly she put it on and it was back to business she then came through and won three straight games. I think the level of Kovinic in that one was, was actually pretty high. Um, I do think that it's the sort of match where if you aren't playing well and you still come through in straight sets, I actually think it's a very good thing for her because if it's all too easy um, and then you get tested at the very end of the tournament against somebody, I think um, it's an important thing to be able to, you know, you able to still win when you're not playing your best. But I do think the level was a lot lower than she's played kind of uh, against the Samsonova match. Um, That level was very high. So I would say this was a different sort of kettle of fish in the sense that it was not as high a level and she still came through in two sets. So I think it's a lot lot positives for her, even though it might look like she was more troubled. I agree. I think, you know, she's obviously played a lot of tennis recently. It's not all going to be... 10 out of 10 and it's great I think for her to have you know these matches where yeah she is playing you know six out of 10 tennis but is still able is still able to come through and she you know she did that against Kovinic so um you know I think she'll want to get back to it you know where she has been playing at you know as we go into the second week uh, she will want to raise her her level again so again it'll be interesting to see that you know how she how she goes in in the fourth round and, and whether yeah, against she, Zheng. That mm, will be an interesting yeah. one because I think yeah. that's that's nothing to lose. I think that's either going to go one of two ways. Either it will be back to Iga's bakery, and it will be almost like a similar result that yeah. Iga Bakery's had against Simona. The bakery might be back open. Exactly. I think either it might be a bit like that Simona result when Iga first made the fourth round, where the stage it was just too big a moment, and I think there is a potential for that kind of in this match just to be completely overwhelmed by the moment or I think it could be quite tricky to play against someone who no one really picks to do anything really big at this tournament um and that could be a, a challenging thing for for eager when there's 
absolutely no one who would think that she would lose yeah. that match. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be an interesting one. I mean, we did have sadly two retirements on, on in yesterday's play. We had mm. Elise Cornet retire, and we also had Paula Bedosa retire. And I mean, the crowd were booing. I mean, the French crowd booed their own player retiring. <laughs> I mean, mm. that is not. That's just not on, is it? I think they've always been an expressive crowd. I think it's very tricky for a player. Like, obviously, Cornet was injured and she'd had a great result. Um, she was almost the, the toast of France a couple of days before. So I think um, to, to turn on someone like that is, is pretty so unpleasant. So quickly, from but hero to zeros. Same, yeah, yeah. Cornet's in a tough spot, though, I'd say, because if you know that you aren't fit, but you still want to give it your best shot, she's actually trying to do, like, give it her best shot and you can't pull out without without knowing. And she obviously needed to go on court to know that she couldn't. So I think um, she didn't have a choice but to go on court and try and play unless she just said that, you know what, I can't. And that would have obviously been, a, uh, that would have caused some backlash as well because she didn't look visibly injured at the end of the Ostapenko match. So no one can win. And I think it's it's quite unpleasant and will leave a bitter taste for Cornet, who's obviously provided some real highlights in this first week for for the French crowd. I mean, there's been there's been quite a few highlights to feel for the the French crowd, from particularly from from French players across you know the the women's and men's tournaments. Um, it's just a shame, I think, that they've all gone out in the third round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all, yeah, and also like how you know it, that shouldn't be the response you, you're giving someone who I feel has given so much to you know to French tennis. You know, we saw her at you know the the, the Billie Jean King Cup. Um, you know, in Australia as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's a bit of a shame, I think, that for obviously for that to happen. Two Americans also, we had Keys and Pegula also coming through. I mean, Americans generally, American women have been doing very well this tournament. There's quite a few of them left in the, you know, left of them in the draw. Um, and as you as you said, they're both they're both kind of like players who rise to the occasion, aren't they, uh, at Grand Slams? And uh I mean, for me, arguably, it's it's a little bit surprising. Madison Madison Keys in round four of of the French Open on clay, but uh, semi final here before. Yeah, yeah, I, I still see her as more of a like a hardcore hardcore specialist. But you know, yeah, as you said, semi finalist here before. So yeah, another another good win. I mean, Kudermetova in round four is going to be that again could be quite quite a, quite a feisty, tough. 50-50 match, would you say? I think a similar player to Ribikina and how she sort of plays. She can hit big. They're both pretty decent movers. It was interesting watching Ribikina obviously um, made the decision that she didn't want to give Keys angles. She wanted to try and kind of keep her quite cramped up in her body. She put a lot of shots down the middle and Keys was able to, you know, make her own angles, which was really impressive. And I think it's almost the perfect preparation for her next match. Um of, of similar sort of players and arguably Rubikina is the more dangerous of the two. So I think I, I can see her coming through that one. And I think um, one thing I would say uh, in the defense of Keys on clay is that she does slide really well. And it's almost, I would say it's her best surface for movement. Um, but I think that her shots do much better on hardcore. Generally, I would say the natural shape of her shots is, is that, that it is better on a hard court and hopefully a grass court at some point, because you feel like she should be almost like yeah. a, the biggest threat in a, in a grass court draw. Um, but no, I think that would be good. But I think Pagula is definitely a player who um, she gets it done. 
uh, I saw her in Rome and she really was did not turn up against Sabalenka. But on, on the Grand Slam stage, she gets the job done. Um, and I think it will take someone. She's not going to beat herself at this tournament, I don't think. Um, and it's been interesting because she said she had no expectations going into clay. She had a couple of decent wins in, um, uh, I think it was Charleston before she lost to kind of Coco Vandeweghe. And then we all thought, well, m- maybe clay's really not for her. And then she has final of Madrid, a couple of other quarterfinals. Um, so I kind of feel like she's got nothing to lose again. But I think it's um, it's good to see her having a good result at a major outside of Australia. Who, who of those two, Pegula, Keys? Do you potentially see them, Keys, maybe get into another semi-final? Um, well, I think Keys, I think, will make it to the quarterfinal, but I do think that Kasakina would get the mm-hmm. better of Keys there. Um, Pagula had a great match. I think, was it Miami, where she had a great match against um, Iga? Uh, there was one, it was one of the Sunshine um, tournaments where she really pushed Iga, in a, I think, in a tiebreak, maybe second set. Uh, but I can't see anyone getting past Iga there, so... I think, unfortunately, there'll be a good good result for those two American <laughs> players, but I don't think that they're going to quite have the clay court pedigree to, to take it further. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and we'll be interesting to see how those, uh, the, how those pan out. We're going to take a quick break now, but I hope you can join us in the second half, and we're going to be catching up on all the action that happened on Friday, day six at the French Open. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to the Parsley Shop with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And we're going to move on to looking back to Friday's action. Uh, we're going to start with the men. I mean, there was quite a few routine matches for the, the big names here, uh, Chris. We had Nadal, Djokovic, both quite comfortable wins. Djokovic against Aliash Bedene and then Nadal against Botic van der Zandschulp. I think the... Uh, let's start with the Nadal match because I think this this was probably for me the more troublesome mm-hmm. sort of matchup. You know, Van der Zandschulp's had a good, has again another, a player who's had a pretty good clay season. Um, you know, pro- quite a wily, smooth operator on, on a on a clay court. But you know, apart from that third set where there was there was a slight wobble for for Nadal when he was closing out. I think he faced you know break point. But those first two sets again, he just you know he just made a mockery. I feel like of of yeah how well van der Zandschulp has been playing this season yeah I think it's great obviously to see Nadal coming through this tournament pretty pretty easily so far and that obviously the foot is not causing him too much of a problem um and obviously that was a big big talking point before this so I think it's great firstly that he's able to to play such great tennis to move as well as he is some of his shot making that you see of like how far behind the baseline he is and he threads the needle down the line it's unbelievable so I think it's one of those things when you see a player like... You can see um, it on, on van der Zandschulp's face. He's just like, oh, I can't believe he's just done that. What can I do? Like, he, he did play a, the, a really good point. And it's just, there's just a mm. level that Nadal can <laughs> tap into that it's like, okay, um, Superman engaged mode sort of thing. Like, uh, I think uh, I wasn't expecting that to be four sets. No, it's probably the scoreline that I expected, if, if I'm honest, I think. Um, and there was a lot of results that kind of went as you'd expect, yeah. uh, as we've said. I mean, I the Bedney-Djokovic result was, you know... A foregone like, conclusion. For, after, it felt, honestly, after the first game. Bedney, you know, had his moments here and there, but uh, yeah, it was pretty comprehensive. Um, he only, I think Djokovic only had to save one break point in the third set, and that was it. So he wasn't, wasn't really kind of tested. 
interestingly, uh, Chris, I read with Bednate, he is going to be retiring this season. I think he's got a Davis Cup tie coming up um, for Slovenia. Oh, wow. He's going to retire after that. What's he going to do after retirement? Um, he's he's not going to become a coach. He's not going to go into punditry. Apparently, he's going to become a football agent. Well, that is an interesting <laughs> so, one. I, I mean, I don't know where that's come from. but uh, He might have, um, not to be too shady, but he might have more success in that field, potentially. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a he's got a network. I think he's got like a good sports network built around him. And I think, yeah, he's, he's looking to go into football. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, we wish him all the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Felix Ogier, Aliasim and, and Diego Schwartzman. We spoke earlier about Schwartzman surprisingly coming very easily through. I was so frustrated Dimitrov. by that match, Joel, mm. because Dimitrov was showing some serious form. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was starting to think maybe, maybe this time he might, you know, do something at, at a major that kind of obviously he's had great results, but uh, I thought he could be a real sort of threat. And he, I mean, that scoreline after he bageled Schwartzman uh, a couple of weeks ago, it would have been probably less than two weeks ago. Uh, and he came through that match against Schwartzman so easily. Um, and it just shows you that, you know, how fortunes can change. It's the same player, it's the same matchup. But depends on, you know, it's such a fine margin between if you're not playing your best, someone's playing a bit better, how that result can look so one-sided one way. And then fast forward a couple of weeks and it's so one-sided the other. But for three, best of three sets from, uh, best of five sets to not take a set from Dimitrov or not make a set competitive, uh, I think he, he would really have to be disappointed with that. You've got to ask some questions about what, what is he doing wrong? Because it's clear that something is not, is not working because he should not be losing like that to, to Schwartzman, even on clay. Mm. I mean, Schwartzman's what had like the most distinguished, I feel, kind of clay season, you know, so not, far. Not the heights of last year, for sure. No, yeah, e- exactly. Um, and then, Apart you know, from another... Isner. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Um, but, you know, a- another result, again, which was a complete different story, as you said, last season, Nori out to catch it off. I mean, this was disappointing, I feel, because of the way Norrie arguably played the big points because he had so many opportunities, particularly in that, in that first set and across the match. I mean, he had 16 break points um, that he squandered. So like, it, it felt like this was a match that Norrie let him, let, let him get it. Sorry. Let the match get away with him from him based on, yeah, how he was playing those, you know, those big moments where he had the opportunity to break catching off serve, wasn't able to get it done. And whilst he wasn't able to to do that, catching off was, was defending really, really brilliantly. Mm, we've seen that before with Norrie. I think he's been in some matches where you're watching him and then he kind of has those chances and he, he doesn't play those big points always well. Um, and I think he can kind of dig his heels in. I think he did get a break back in the in the fourth set. But I think it's one where uh, you can almost see, it's a bit like, um, it's Muguruza, but like that too. But when she does have a break point or he does have a break point, like you can see it in his eyes. He, he almost like potentially wants it too much that that kind of easy, clear thinking sort of disappears at time. But I think it's not been a bad French Open for him. Um, this it was could have been be better though. It, it could have been it could better. Have been, it could have been better. He obviously had some uh, great result coming into this. Um, I think... He can't be too disappointed with his clay season this year. If you look at it as a whole, um, 
that kind of he's still right up there in terms of the the ATP race. Um, and that's before we kind of get to the the US ring and, and Wimbledon, where hopefully he's going to, uh, well, with his backhand being so flat, something that really should suit suit his game. So um, not a bad season, but I do I understand why he would be disappointed by that result. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we had easy wins for Zverev and Alcaraz as well. Yeah. Alcaraz against Seb Korda. Again, I was in the night session. I was maybe expecting a little bit more from Korda, but Same. Alcaraz did well, I think, to keep, a, again, keep a lid on it, keep it only three sets. Because, yeah, maybe he, he again, it was nice for him to have a little bit of a breather, I guess, after that, you know, match against Ramos Vanolas. Yeah, for sure. I think... Um, he talked about how much he loves those sort of big moments um, and uh, Alcaraz, how much he loves it and how much he kind of really thinks that it's, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things that he, he is able to experience now, those big moments at Grand Slam. So that's something that he'll seen, like, obviously, like Djokovic and Nadal doing and coming through in those really tough matches. And then they're able to bring back to the, another level almost the next next match and I think that that's also kind of something that's a big part of delivering great results back to back we talked about it a bit with ego like you can't always play you know Carlos can't be in god mode every match um but he certainly made Seb Corder look look pretty um pretty average um you could see that the holes in Corder's game um you could see why Carlos is kind of so much more complete but I think definitely a shame this round I think it's definitely a, a theme Lots of straight set matches um, for for the men's side and for the top seeds of the men, uh, which, I mean, a lot of them, as you said, could, could do with that. Because um, I think there wasn't... There was a five set, obviously, with Casper, but there weren't that many five set matches um, or long matches this round. So hopefully, if the if the rule is one round on, one round off, we should have some really <laughs> fiery round of 16s, right? And moving on to the, the women um, on, on day six on Friday... Can we start with Sloan? Can we start with Sloan? Okay, let's start with So Stevens because, yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, where do you start? I, again, I know she's been great at the French Open before. I mean, her record at the French Open versus all the other Grand Slams is, I mean, it's it's night and day. And you know, she came through Diane Parry six two six three. I I find it so fascinating because I was reading some people who were making the prediction that um, she. Would I find lose it this confusing. Match. I don't understand. Yeah. Where does it come from? You don't, I, it's, it must be so hard. I mean, it must be so frustrating, I feel, to coach Stevens in the sense of, as you said earlier, she arrived here zero and four on clay, carrying mm. five match losing streak. Mm. And then she's yes. gone into making the second week out of nowhere. But then I think it's, it's one of those things where the best players, you've seen it before. And I think it's probably a, a big challenge is when you have such a big win. Because I actually listened to her. She's done a podcast for the first uh, one of the first podcasts she's done came out just before the start of the French. Um, and she said that like, she never wanted to be world number one. It was to win a grand slam. And obviously she did that. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where the motivation on a, like a, on to be in the, I'm not sure where that match took place actually. Where was the, the, the match that she had before? Was it Leon? Which wasn't in Rabat, I don't think. But um, the match where she lost to someone who was outside the world's top 300, um, you can see that the motivation wasn't necessarily there um, because she knows how well she can play and she has a very level approach to it that if she loses, she's not as um, hard on herself as a lot of the other players are because she really does try and practice sort of self-love in that sense. So 
I think it's one where she's like, if I win, I win. It's great. And if I don't, well, it's still fine, you know. So I think it'd be interesting to see how that approach kind of is taken if she does keep going in this, because then I think we'll see her um, really kind of uh, come alive in the way that we saw her in kind of 2018. But I I think that's a, a great result. And it showed that against a, a player who's a bit more junior than her, she's actually very good at playing them in Grand Slams. Like Coco last year at the US Open, she dispatched her. I think it's... Um, when you get to sort of those players who've been on the tour for a while, it's almost like Stevens just doesn't quite feel the need to assert her dominance in those spaces. But watch watch this space for uh, Sloan, I think. I mean, I don't want to say too much, but I think that if she can keep playing the way she is and keep moving the way that she is, um, she'll be hard to beat. I mean, she's now reached the fourth round at Roland Garros eight times in 11 appearances. So... It's like Elise, Merton. it's Elise Merton's levels of consistency there. It might be. It might be. I think, um, uh, well, I mean, who says she, she can't go even further this time? <laughs> One thing we have to talk about is the, the calendar, not the calendar, the career Grand Slam is off oh, I know. for Angie. I know. That's so annoying. We thought it might be happening. We thought the stars were aligning. It didn't quite happen. She did her best in the tiebreak in the second set, but she was Sasnoviched out of that one. Um, I think that's, that was a disappointing result because you could sort of see parts of that draw opening up potentially for her. Oh, yeah, but, big time. Yeah, I mean, and there were a couple of former world number ones that unfortunately had a, a tough one. There was that match that was a shame. And then Azarenka, as you say, the Teichman match, which, um, I mean, you watched a lot of that match, right, Joel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I did. And it was uh, a real... A real battle, three hours, 18 minutes. Um, it was, uh, again, Azarenka, I thought, played very, 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 very well. She's, again, had a se- mixed season, I feel. But in this match, she, you know, put a lot of, put a lot of work in and uh, came up just short. But given the position she was in, you know, having won the first set, looked like, you know, she was a- going to be able to kind of get it done. But um yeah, it was, unfortunately, it was not to be, which I think was surprising given, you know, Azarenka's experience at, you know, at slams, she sees a, a two-time champion. I would have thought she had the, would have had the experience to be able to kind of put Teichman away. And mm. as you said, there's this part of the draw, again, there's that added incentive, I feel, that is motivating everyone. But I feel like it, it could have, it, it would have motivated, I think, Teichman all the same. But uh, certainly, I think for people like Kerber and Azarenka, they they would have been the thinking hits different at that sort of stage of their yeah. career, right? Yeah, and exactly. Especially for Azarenka, because you know we're not we're not going to see her at Wimbledon. Like you mm. know, this was this felt like a big big moment that you know. Well, I'm not I'm not going to see you now until yeah the the US swing. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Well, I know you're going to probably play the you know grass court tour events, but would have been Berlin know, for yeah. ranking points. But um, yeah, it feels like you know oh, it's just annoying, and it's like now we're going to wait until <laughs> the hard courts of. Uh, you know, the United States. Exactly. I think it must be put added pressure on, especially at the stage of career, which I think is um, uh, obviously it's very unfortunate for her career in that sense. And I think um, it does get harder. You know, the opportunities come a little bit less um, frequently and kind of not as easily as before. And so I think obviously when you have to work that bit harder, um, that is a, that's that one's got to be a bitter pill to swallow. Um, I saw that the, there were, unfortunately, obviously for the Anisimova Mukova match that that did end with uh well from two I think it was two all in the the second was it two yeah 
I think it was two on the second when she rolled her ankle. It was a big shame, but that looked like it would be a great contest as well as the, the bench. It was. Fernandez I mean, match. that first set, mm. that first set was so good. Mm. And I know it's it's sad because, you know, we know Mukova's injury, you know, she's had injury troubles throughout her career. And again, when you felt, you felt for her, like, oh, she, maybe she's got over them. This happens. And to happen, you know, at a setup, um, you know, in, in the third round, playing someone who's, very very good in in Anisimova. It's ah uh, yeah, you just feel really you feel really bad for her because she's again another big time player. She's had she's gone very deep at Grand Slams before. They you know they both have, but the way Mukova was playing, you felt that you felt that if she had stayed healthy, not rolled her ankle, it, it she could have got through uh, that one. Yeah, 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 very potentially. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think she's obviously someone who has. Uh, unbelievable levels of kind of range in her game and she's able to play really well in the slams as well and she took out Sakari I think that was two tie break sets and she's obviously kind of taken the first set 9-7 in a really tight one and you just felt that she was going to probably in those sort of matches go from strength to strength um so that's obviously a really big shame in that one and of well given her injuries that's a she was obviously visibly very upset and gutted and, and in a lot of pain um, but she did do her best, a very different sort of retirement, some of the retirements we've seen where everyone was very clear as to what was going on. That She really was just trying to do her best until potentially the anti-inflammatories kicked in and, and it, it wasn't enough. So a big shame. But thankfully, we did have a match that, go the, that went the distance um, and people remained healthy throughout with the Fernandez-Bentric match. Were you surprised by the Fernandez getting through that one? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, Bencic very experienced Fernandez I thought maybe experience I mean this was a bit more like experience versus youth and I thought experience was going to win out if I'm being quite mm. honest um but it's great to see I think Fernandez going from strength to strength I think you know she's maybe been forgotten about a little bit uh, you know since you know getting to the you know the US Open final you'll see the spotlight feels been firmly on, on Raducanu particularly with you know British audiences but she again has been doing very very well building as you say building her game it's developing it's coming along very very nicely similar to you know to Coco Goff I think you know they're both players who have you know announced themselves and it's good to see them kind of continuing um, their form and going as I say going from strength to strength and you know this result against Bencic 7-5 in the third set again another very very good good result good match at a grand you know at a grand slam Completely. And I think it's fantastic to to see her doing well again, because I think she is someone that when she's inspired, she plays fantastic tennis. And so I think it's great seeing that um, it, that can happen outside of the US and well, North America. Um, and so I think that's great to see her coming through. And again, let's, let's hope she can push forward to top 10, because it would be great to see some of these younger players able to make that jump from, you know, top 20, top 15 into top 10, like Carlos is able to do. For, for the men's side, I think it would be great to see like, the Radicanus be able to put together those results that make them more than sort of like a, a standout result, but consistent results. And I think that would be really good for the tour. So I think it's great to see her going going far. We do have our second um, fairy tale run for Trevisan, which is um, fantastic for for her coming off that Rabat win. Um, Daria Saville, I thought, might get that one, given um, the fact that she's been dispatching her opponents pretty handily 
um, as she was kind of making her way through this draw. But I think clearly um, a lot of confidence um, for Martina in that sense. And I, I think um, you wouldn't necessarily want to play her next. No, exactly. And, uh, you know, she's she's about to serve for the match uh, against Sasunich. Yeah, seven six six five, big, big, big service game coming up. I don't think anyone would repeat was... the quarterfinal show. Yeah. In 2020, I know. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that. They probably would have thinking, you know, one-time Grand Slam quarterfinalist. But yeah, she's playing very, very well. I think she's on a eight-match win, eight-match win streak. Um, I, you know, she could had be Harriet nine. Dart. Could be nine. Yeah, I know. And she, you know, she absolutely, you know, dismantled Harriet Dart in the, in the first round, um, which I was, <laughs> I was watching a little bit of. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's yeah it's it's a player who again just knows knows how knows her game on this surface and does does very very well i mean before we finish up chris we've got the order of play for today where where are you looking i mean we've had trevisan savasnovich about to finish fernandez anisimova is well, that's at the moment. One. that's because they had a very uh interesting clash where anisimova was won the first set very easily and then she got taken to a tie break and then she retired immediately after that tie break um in the second so that's an interesting intriguing encounter well fernandez is a setup but anisimova is 4-1 up in the second set so anisimova loves to, a three set clay court win could go to three exactly i mean where where else are you where are you where else are you looking today because we got oji aliasim nadal mertens goff catching off alcaraz in the night match on chatrier I feel like you're, what it doesn't matter because you're you're only wait you're just waiting for Tightman Stevens on all eyes on uh, Tightman Stevens on Suzanne Longlong, but I think um, that's good good for Sloane. She says it's her favourite court to play on here because it plays the slowest. Interestingly, Ooh, okay. um, and she likes it to be slower when she plays, which is um, something that I think is interesting to to get that insight from her. I will be watching uh, the Nadal Felix match for sure. I'd love to pick up some of the end of the Fernandez and Isimova match. So no rush, Joel, on this last section. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there's a lot of matches here that look like they will be relatively um, straightforward. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think the night match will be one that I might dip in. But I think um, there's a, a lot of ones that I think we might might be the, the straight sets results that we, we would not like to see. But I feel like the fact that they put Alcaraz on the night match makes me think that if Nadal and Djokovic come through Ojalis, uh, Seaman, Schwartzman, I think they're going to put it as the night match. I think they're going to, I think they're going to make it the night match and not the day match, which would, in theory, favour Novak Djokovic. I feel that like Rafa will want it in the day, but the fact that yeah. Alcaraz has had the last two, his last two on the night, he's not going to have three in a row, is he? They're definitely teeing it up for the the Djokovic Nadal night match, the mm. blockbuster. I can't see Emily <laughs> not putting that. Um, not putting that as a night match. No. And especially I, I now there's no more French interest because we've had some interesting night matches. Yes, I know. I mean, Corday Ostapenko, I think that's just going to be lived down in, in the history books, right? Given how mad that was. But uh, An iconic yes. match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up of the French Open with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to stay up to date on all the action coming in the second week on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
You can follow us on social media and email the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Passing Shot Pod. You can email the show at PassingShotPod at gmail.com or check out the website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back. It will be me and Kim back tomorrow at Passing Shot HQ for our round four catch up so i hope you can join us for our next episode but in the meantime it's been great having you back on chris to fill in uh for kim who is at surbiton at the moment watching some watching some qualies on the grass so as as much as all the clay is going on we've got to remember there is grass grass court season is is coming into interview as well she's a step ahead of all of us there <laughs> exactly you're going exactly. next week as well i think but I she's know, doing a lot friday. of bricks a lot of bricks i know friday quarterfinals day hoping maybe to see andy murray fingers crossed but uh yeah we'll have to wait and see but um yeah it's goodbye from chris goodbye from me <laughs> and it's goodbye from me as well we will see you again soon <laughs>